Welcome to episode 513 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a wonderful conversation with naturally curvy actress and singer extraordinaire Lucia Spina. We talk with Lucia about her work in Chicago Theater, The Steppenwolf, Second City, The Red Orchid, and about her work performing in cabarets on Broadway, stage acting versus screen acting, making each performance fresh, the value of art to humanity, singing musical theater songs as compared to pop songs, connecting with the audience, connecting with the piece, Sondheim Unplugged, and singing to a bagel with cream cheese, among other things. A wonderful conversation with Lucia Spina this go-round. We have an EWSA titled Oklahoma. We share an excerpt from an essay titled You Are Not a Racist, written by Bitsi Ajapan, as published in the February 2023 issue of The Sun magazine. And we have a poem called Jane Says. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 513 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. Oh, 
What is the value of this art to humanity? I might as well be singing to a bagel with cream cheese, setting on a formica countertop in the great state of Maine. And there is a red orchid growing through the roof of a steppenwolf in the windy city. As the great lakes start to work toward a springtime thaw, the producers and politicians luridly gnaw at the bit, looking to turn another trick. And girl, can she sing. Somewhere over the rainbow, the music man is in Oklahoma, a new state of Texas, there are those who are saying. I ask a guru sage, can one connect more effective through the shiny screen or up on the gilded stage. I remember when I was young, back in the 20th century, watching puppet shows down the street at King Joe's Variety Store. The Yo-Yo Man came one summer. I was so excited to go that I ran off a long concrete step parallel to the sidewalk gradually rising with incline, and flew through the air, feeling like I had lost control of myself, free and vigorous. I fell and cut my side on small stones in the parking lot, picked myself up, and got to the show. I learned a few tricks and bought a translucent orange yo-yo with a white braided string. I think I still have the old thing in a drawer. Tall and slender like an Apollo, he goes walking by. And I have to follow him, the boy from Tuck. La tumba del poeco Santa Malipa Zacatega La junta del soy y cruz When we meet I feel I'm on fire And I'm breathless Every time I inquire How are things in Tacarembo La tumba del poeco Santa Malipa Zacatega La junta del soy y cruz I speak, does he vanish? Ooh, why is he acting so clannish? Ooh, I wish I understood Spanish. When I tell him I think he's the end, he giggles a lot with his friends. Tall and slender moves like a dancer, but I never seem to get any answer from the boy from Tacarembo, la tumba del fuego, Santa Malipa, Zacatega, la del soy. 
got the blues. Why are his trousers vermilion? His trousers are vermilion. Why does he claim he's Castilian? He says he is Castilian. Why do his friends call him Lillian? And I hear at the end of the week, he's leaving to start a boutique. Though I smile, I'm only pretending, cause I know two days the last I'll be spending with a Lucia Spina, is that you? Tis me. Hello, EW. It's so nice of you to be on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, before we get started, let me share with the folks a little background information. Lucia Spina is a naturally curly and naturally curvy actress, singer, voiceover artist, coach, educator, home cook, house plant enthusiast, and doggy mama hailing from the Windy City with five Broadway credits, countless concert appearances, and a growing slew of film and TV credits, too. Our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, saw Lucia perform twice on the island of Manhattan in a cabaret show at Studio 54 and in a Broadway production of Into the Woods. He knew he must talk to her people and get her booked on our show. And I'm happy to say Lucia Spina is here with us on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Again, thank you so much for taking the time out. Thank you for having me. I didn't realize Michael had came in into the woods as well. I just knew he was at Sondheim Unplugged. How cool. Yeah, yeah. He. Uh, well, I was actually out with him last night when you emailed me. We were having supper. And uh, he was telling ah. me he was telling me how he he uh, came across you. Um, so let's I guess start at the beginning. Tell tell us a little bit about your background. You're from Chicago. Yeah, I was born and raised in Chicago and the Chicago suburbs. My family um, we moved to <clears throat> the suburbs of Chicago, in the Wheaton area, when I was four. Um, and then I eventually moved to the city in my early twenties. Um, and, um, and I moved to the city, meaning Chicago, sorry. And then I came to New York in 2006 and, uh, been here hustling ever since. And, uh, you know, when you came in to the city, I guess you, before that, must have been involved in the arts. You must have been involved in uh, theater and the like back home, right? Did you oh, go to yeah. School? I mean, when I was a yes, I, yeah, I went to school for it. When I when I was um, in junior high and high school, I was a, a jock. 
Um, and that took up like 10 to 11 months out of the year. Um, and right at the end of high school, I was like, ah, I don't think this is where I want to be. Um, and I, uh, made some adjustments there so that I could perform a little bit more and, um, ended up graduating college with a, um, well, technically it's a speech communications theater degree, but it's basically a major in theater and minor in music. And I worked in the Chicago area, um, from the time I graduated in 97 to, um, 2006. And when I moved here and, uh, what prompted the move here, um, there were many factors, but the, I uh, actually was going to make plans to move to New York in end of 2005, and uh, I actually got a audition for the Chicago production of Spelling Bee, which was um, set by all the original creative team. And um, so when I booked that, I thought I should stay in Chicago and do that. <laughs> and so I opened the Chicago company of Spelling Bee for six months, and. Uh, after my six months, I kept my word to my agent at the time who told me I had to leave at the end of my first contract and moved to New York and kept my word and moved to New York. And they happened to have an opening in the um, Broadway company of Spelling Bee as um, Lisa Howard had to take a couple of weeks off for some concerts she was doing. And when they were recasting myself and a few other people for the Chicago production on a break, Someone said, what are we going to do when Lisa leaves to do her concerts? And someone said, well, why don't we have Lucia do it? She's moving to New York and we have all our costumes. And James Lapine said, done, done. And so <laughs> I made my Broadway debut like a week and a half after moving to New York. Oh, that's amazing. And the rest is history. Yeah, very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. Very fortunate. Um you know, they say timing is everything. So, what, you know, it was also I didn't come to the city when I was, you know, fresh out of school and, you know, a very young character actress with a baby face who was, you know, still playing all these older character roles. So it was nice to, you know, wait until I was like 31 to come to the city and, and have a little bit of a career under my belt in Chicago doing local and regional work out there and um, made it coming here a little bit easier, you know, having being a, a bit more of an adult. Did, did you notice, uh, folks that you were working with in, in New York city were, um, impressed with what you did in Chicago or did they have an attitude like, yeah, Chicago, Chicago, but this is New York. No, I uh, no, I didn't find that at all. Um, I, the other actors I worked with, everybody's, you know, in their own place and doing their own thing and everybody's trying to get by. And so, you know, where I was before I got here was of no consequence to them. And it actually kind of helped me a bit in the casting world, in my opinion, because I was new. I was a newer face. I wasn't somebody they had been seeing day in and day out for years. They're like, oh, who's this person? Where is she then? Oh, she's been in Chicago. Oh, she did. Spell me. Oh, she has a, you know, so, um, that gave me a little bit of a, a leg up, I think. Um, and of course people are tired of me now, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't have that, uh, that, you know, the new cachet of, of being, you know, the new thing anymore. Um, but, um, yeah, no, uh, I think in general, people have a lot of respect for Chicago actors because um, there's a lot of non-union work out there. And of course, 
the the sketch comedy and improv um, world is is very um, uh, active and strong out there. And like you Second know, City, actors, Second, Second City, City. Yeah. You have players. Um, you have uh, oh god, I've forgotten them all right now. Excuse me, but um, there's a there's a very strong improv community in uh, Chicago, and Chicago actors, you know, on the local small theater stuff, like we get paid even less in Chicago than people do here, and so, you know, you may be doing great work at one of the smaller local regional theaters, but you're not making a lot of cash. And yes, the cost of living is a little lower there, but you're really doing it for the art and for the work. Um, not the people don't do it for the art and for the work here, but you know, commercial theater, uh, runs a little bit differently and, um, there's different things at stake and you can do a show because you're like, well, I need the paycheck and I need my health insurance weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit different. There's, but the Chicago theater community is fantastic and some of the hardest working actors I've known and um, they do really innovative stuff, you know, beyond the Steppenwolf, but the Steppenwolf kind of stuff is kind of sets the bar. You have a red orchid, um, which also does a lot of innovative work. And there's a, it's, it's a, it's a huge community out there. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, but in the, general, I think Chicagoers have a great reputation across the country. I think, yeah, definitely. And the, the Steppenwolf is what comes to mind first, but uh, yes, I, yeah. yeah. Um, now, your your roles you've played, and we're going to get into TV as well. I want to ask you a question about TV as compared to stage. Sure. But uh, some of I, I think, though, I, I could be incorrect. Uh, would you say you're more experienced, more seasoned on stage, or more on screen? At this point, um, I, I mean, I've had more experience on stage than um, on camera, just because that's that's what I've been doing since <clears throat> God knows how long. Um, I've been in this business for over twenty five years, and uh, as a professional actor, so as a non professional before then, so um, that's where I have the majority of my experience, and I just didn't have the opportunity to do a lot of. Um, film and TV work in Chicago. Um, there's a, a fair amount more of it to be done here. Um, so I have really only done film and TV since moving to New York. And, you know, I, I, I look at uh, some of that uh, work, you know, shows that everyone have, has heard of, about Law and Order, SVU, and uh, um, uh, Tommy, I suppose. Is, is that the movie with... Uh, the late no, 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 no. Tommy was a a, a new series um, that starred Edie Falco. Ah. About a, she moved. She was a New York cop who moved to L.A. to head up a division out there, and it only ran for one season, unfortunately. But um, uh, you know, some of the uh, like Law and Order and Blacklist, which Blacklist. is still around, yeah. and yeah, yeah, Pretty Little Liars. Um, and I did Pretty Little Liars, which is yet another iteration of the original. Um, and uh, and then uh, what's the other one that I oh pose pose I was yeah. part of pose for a little bit so um, it's been fun I've been I've been you know really hardcore studying um, film and TV for over the past decade so um, and through immersion like through working nice or did you formally out. did you formally train uh, for for uh, a formally train yeah formally for... train for for 
film and TV. Yeah, I've taken classes with a bunch of people, but um, the person I study with the most is a, a man named Bob Krakauer. Um, and uh, he has been very instrumental in getting me to where I am right now and getting me work and stuff. I also worked with a, a great guy named Ted Sliberski who, you know, held my hand and walked me through my first on camera gig, which was wonderful. So, um, yeah, it's acting is acting, right? But there's just a few things you need to adjust for camera and I, for stage. So. Yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, and it's I, different for everybody, you know. On stage, uh, you again, we mentioned Into the Woods, Kinky Boots, South Pacific, Legally Blonde, Les Miserables. Uh, the 25th annual Spelling Bee, a lot of really powerful major shows there. Um, when when you let, let's go there, you talk about uh, acting on screen and acting on stage. What is the big difference? I mean, I would think on screen there's a lot of takes. You got to do things over and over again. Where on stage, you know, you rehearse and then you're you're just you're there, you're on, you're going. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and that's all because of technical things, right? You know the the light isn't right or the sound didn't roll or, you know, the wind kicked her hair up and we need a new take, you know? Um, <clears throat> so in, in a lot of ways though, I feel like, I mean, you don't rehearse or prepare for most television things in the same way that you would for the theater um, because you just don't have the time when you're shooting television. Films might be different depending on what they are and what their budget is and what, what it's doing. But um, there is no set rehearsal process for more for most television shows. So much like I think this is why I think theater actors can do really well in film and TV is because you do have to say it over and over and over again, <laughs> or, you know, uh, look here or look there and, you know, say this line to nobody, but pretend they're there. And, you know, those are all, that's, that's, that's the same thing that we as theater actors do, except we do it without an audience. During rehearsal, you know? Mean. Well, not during rehearsal. I mean, during performance. During performance. You know? During performance, you know, we may be doing it one or two times a day and when you're on stage, but when you're on camera, you may be doing it two to 12 times, you know, um, but you're doing a much shorter scene, much fewer lines, you know, but there's a, the, the repetition happens. And just like you have to make the, the play or the musical you're performing and on stage fresh for every audience every night, because there's certain people in the house every night, you have to do the same thing with all your, however many takes it requires to get the shot they need. You know, um, the repetition isn't, it's, it's more about on the, in, on stage, you know, it's a different style of presentation just because of the way you need to reach people, you know, with your whole body and with the set and everything. And when you're on camera, it's capturing it in a different way. It's a more intimate capture. So there's just some adjustments in storytelling that need to be made in order to do that. Now, thank you for that. It's great insight. Now, when when um, you look at yourself as an artist, do you think or do you feel one is more tapping into you as an artist, one one type of performance stage versus screen than the other? Or 
do you feel more alive or just as alive as an artist in both uh, milieus? I feel just as alive in, in, in both. Um, and um, there's a, I feel just as fulfilled in both on occasion. Um, and uh, it just depends on what the, what the particular job is, what the role is, you know, um, we can't all take the last bow and we can't all be the first on the call sheet, you know? So, um, I like doing them both because it's a way to do, to be an actor, but to have two different outlets for it and to have two different, not just two, but just a whole bunch of different, um, how shall I say this? Like techniques or approaches in your wheelhouse that you get to use, um, in order to effectively tell each type of story. Um, in each medium. And I like that, you know, I'm not just doing theater and just have that same grind or I'm just doing television and never have the opportunity to do other things. So it's been, it's been a great way to mix things up and keep everything fresh and keep everything exciting. Excellent. And when you're, when you're looking at art, you know, uh, as an artist, do you ever, I mean, you want to pay the bills. You want to do something that you like to do, yeah. something you believe in. Do, do you do you sit back and, and look at the value of, of what you're doing uh, in your work to society? Do you see a particular t- value to this for society, for humanity? Oh, sure. I mean, I think that's inherently there. Uh, you know, art is completely subjective, and it's going to hit some people in one way, and some people in another and not reach other people at all. And so no matter what story you're telling, there's going to be something in there for somebody, in my opinion. You know, it may be a story about a family in the suburbs and the issues they're going through with their children. But just because you're a single person in the city doesn't mean you don't understand love or connection or familiar relationships or what it was like to be a kid. You know, um, there's, it's there for, it's always there. Do I pick things because I want to say certain things to society and try to make them better? Um, I honestly don't have that privilege yet in my career to do that. Um, I can do things because I'm passionate about them or because I enjoy them. Um, but you know, I still need to pay my bills and I still need to have health insurance and a 401k. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, I need to advance, keep furthering and advancing my career in positive ways. It'll get me to the point where I can say, you know, I want to tell this story because I think this is the tonic the world needs right now. Um, right. You could so, be you could be an Audra McDonald or a Meryl Streep and say, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can turn stuff down. You know, there's only, there's only, you know, you get to a certain point in your career and it can be exactly what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And up until that point, the more, the longer you're there, the longer in your career, the more standing you have to make those decisions. And you're like, you know, I want to do this because it's something I really want to do. And, and, uh, who cares about the money for right now, you know, or you say, 
I need health insurance because I need to have this procedure and I'm middle-aged. So <laughs> right. I need to get a full year of health insurance. And sometimes that's just what you do. Right. You know, right. you got some, a friend, uh, a former associate said to me, you know, y'all got some, you got to eat a peck of dirt every year. You know, <laughs> I like that. I like yeah. that. Just expect it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Now let's get to your educating, uh, um, sort of experience you you are a teacher too uh and you know how do you how do you teach them the difference between singing uh or is there a difference between singing a a song from a, a theatrical production as compared to a pop song well um a couple things i i am i have on occasion taught in a couple of educational settings but mostly i i coach um, and, uh, but either way, you know, a, a pop song and a musical theater song at the end of the day, they both tell a story or need to get a point across. So there's nothing different other than uh, a vocal style. Um, and sometimes a, a certain technique to pull off a certain style. Um, and I am a, a, a rep coach or an acting coach. I am not a, a uh, a voice teacher. I don't teach voice, but um, the lines of pop and musical theater have been blurred for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in, you know, the golden age of musical theater and Tin Pan Alley and all that stuff. And well through like the early eighties, you had theater songs that were pop hits and uh, that's not really the case anymore. Um, but look at how many musicals have been on Broadway in recent years that have a pop music score and not just a pop music style, but from a particular artist, what they call like a jukebox musical. Like we've got Mamma Mia and we have, uh, oh gosh, there's so queen, many of them. You I know? think one queen. Oh yeah. Right. There's a queen one. We have, um, we have, uh, the Neil Diamond musical right now. We have MJ, we had Tina, you know, Motown, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, and some of those songs have been, you know, retrofitted and directorially and, and presentation wise to tell a story in a different way than they may have just, you know, playing on the airwaves. But um, a story is a story and a, a feeling is a feeling. And what you want from somebody or whatever you need to accomplish happens whether you're singing whether you're acting whether you're a ballet dancer whether you're in physical like a, a physical medium artist like you know a painter or whatever like all that stuff has to happen um so how do i uh, there is no difference for me when i'm working with people on a pop song versus a theater song if it's a pop song in a theater setting it applies the same way. If somebody's, you know, prepping a song for a cabaret or something else, there's a little bit different stylistically. Uh, but essentially, it's, I, I like to treat them all the same. The the end uh, result you're trying to achieve is, uh, I guess, connection with the audience and and transcending whatever the the essence of that piece is supposed to be as you perceive it. Well, yeah, and connection with the audience, but in order to have a connection with the audience, you have to have a connection to the material, mm -hmm. you know? Like, if you have no idea what you're talking about or don't have a strong 
connection to what it is you're speaking about or singing about, nobody else will either. Mm-hmm. I had a student a while back and um, I asked him, he, he, he was not the most um, uh, skilled of, of singers or performers, but he had a lot of passion. And um, I assigned him Real Life Girl from Little Me because it's a very simple musical um, piece and very clear lyrics. So they're a want song, you know, as they would say. Mm-hmm. And he lit up and performed like he never had before. And I said to him afterwards, I'm like, that was just wonderful. What? has changed who were you singing to what were you singing about it was like i was singing about a bagel with cream cheese (laughs) and i was like really really tell me why and the country that he was from you couldn't get bagels with cream cheese and when he spent time in new york he made sure that he got a bagel and cream cheese every day because it was his favorite thing he felt so strongly about it he'd go out of his way to get them every single day from a particular place. And he felt this passion about a bagel and cream cheese. And he, I watched this kid light up and sing Real Life Girl just as well as any other Broadway leading man. And it's because he was connected to it. <laughs> he had a deep, strong feeling about it and how it made him feel and what he wanted from it and what he could do for it and with it. and. Gosh, uh, as an audience member, I didn't know that. No. But I watched this 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 kid fall in love and want something, and therefore I fell in love with him and wanted something for myself and wanted something for him too. So, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whatever yeah. floats your boat, you know? Like there's no there's no one right way to do anything in the world, let alone act. So you know? Yeah. Oh, fascinating. And that's, that's a great story. Now, and I kind of want a bagel with cream cheese now myself, actually. <laughs> Every um, time I tell a story, I want a bagel with cream cheese, yes. <laughs> so have you ever, can you recall a time when it was hard for you to connect with the material and you had to really go to great lengths to connect with the material? Um, <clears throat> I mean, nothing, nothing stands out as some, you know, very difficult thing. I, I, you know, even if the lyrics don't speak to me, sometimes the music will, um, whether it's an intro, whether it's a, the rhythmic pattern of the verse or the way the notes jump up and down, you know, if I can't find something in the lyrics, I can find something in the music that, in, in well-written music, especially that informs what I'm feeling or what I need to do or how to connect to it. And you know what? Sometimes you just don't. And sometimes you just need to fake it till you make it. Right. You know? Right. Um, but that's why I, that's why I really like Sondheim's material in, in particular. And he's not the only one who does this, but he, I think he's one of the better ones is, you know, if he writes his own lyrics and music, like you got the whole package there, but even if he's only writing the lyrics, you you have a deep understanding of how he works and and know that everything he says is there for a reason. And when he does both of them, like 
let's say you don't get the lyric, it's not hitting you or whatever. Boy, those very specific rhythms he puts in there, or there's very specific <laughs> jumps between notes um, will tell you everything you need to know. And yes, yeah, Sondheim, you know, people think he's, his work is so difficult and so heady. And I'm not going to say it's not, but I also think it's completely accessible because if you don't fight it, everything is there. And um, that's why I like being a part of, I've been a part of the Sondheim Unplugged concert series since 2011 as a performer. And I, I think that's been, where Mike saw, uh, Mike saw you do that. Yeah. 354, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, uh, the 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 man who created the series is uh, named Phil Jeffrey Bond, who's a very good friend of mine now. And he created, he hosted, he produced it, directed it, everything um, for well over a decade. And so uh, this fall, he handed it over to myself and uh, our good friend Rob Maitner. And uh, Rob and I share producing duties and I direct it and um, Rob hosts it. And um, it's been such a joy to, I mean, I've been singing Sondheim Unplugged since 2011. I've sung a lot of Sondheim songs. Even the ones I haven't sung, I've listened to a lot of them. And it's been such a gift to explore this work because it honestly never gets boring. <laughs> There's always something there. And then to be bringing, uh, you know, new people into the series who, you know, take this material and do it in a different way than you would have ever thought is just so exciting and and it's it i just love it i love it i can tell lucia <laughs> spina we're talking with here on troubadours and rock on tours and we're just about uh done with the time for this uh conversation i hope to talk with you again in the future uh, what's, what's coming up, Lucia, that you'd like to share with the listeners? Any information at all, uh, a location on the internet you'd like them to go to, to check things out, whatever you like. Sure. Well, um, for myself, yes, I have a website, luciaspina.com. I have, um, some videos up on YouTube as well. You can, um, search my name on YouTube and, and see various songs and performances I've done. Um, there's a couple, uh, there's a, uh, one short film on there that I've worked on in a, in a independent sitcom that I did a few years ago, right before the pandemic on there as well. Um, and, uh, right now the, the, the biggest thing on my schedule is Sondheim Unplugged. So I'll plug <laughs> it. Um, we're usually the last Sunday of every month at 54 below, but our remaining shows are randomly Monday. Uh, February 27th, and then March 26th, April 23rd, May 28th, um, Friday, June 9th, which we're going to do a special Pride edition of Sondheim Unplugged, and then Sunday, July 30th, and then we'll take August off and come back in the fall. So if you go to 54below.com and search Sondheim Unplugged, you can find all that out. And also, speaking of Sondheim Unplugged, um, there is a website for the series called SondheimUnplugged.com and you can find more about the show and all how it was created and um, all the myriad of performers who have uh, 
been with us along the years and also Phil Jeffrey Bond over the pandemic put together a little passion project for himself and for all of us to make a little money and to do a little things is uh, he's compiled a three double CD set of Sondheim songs all done with just the voice and the piano a la unplugged. Um, And it's, yeah, it was a massive undertaking and there are some really, really remarkable performances from people who are just, you know, actors and cabaret people and, uh, but also original cast members from Sondheim shows like Jim Walton and Sarah Rice and Terry Ralston and Danielle Furland. The the list goes dehody. The list goes on and on. And um, so you can hear them sing some of the songs that made them famous years ago, but hear them do it now um, and also take on other material. It's uh it's it's really gorgeous and um you can get that wherever you get your music physically or online excellent. so excellent it's kind of all things Sondheim for me at the moment it sounds and that's a great yeah. place to be <laughs> for sure I enjoy it. <laughs> lucia spina here on chubadors and rock on tours it was a pleasure talking with you and uh as well you know uh i'm hoping to come out and see Sondheim Unplugged in the next couple of months, and uh, hopefully to have, I'd love to have you on the show again. You're you're oh, you're great. a great well, conversationalist. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. This was a blast, and uh, shoot me a line before you want to come. Well, so I know you're there. Excellent, I'll do that definitely. All right, all right. Take <laughs> thank care. You so much. Stay warm. You too. You too. Bye. Bye. Once I hated this city. Now it can't get me down. Slushy, humid, and gritty. What a pretty town. What thought I could be duller, more depressing, less gay. Now my favorite color is gray. A wall of rain as it turns to sleet. The lack of sun on a one-way street. I love the grime all the time. And what more do I need? My window pane has a lovely view. An inch of sky and a fly or two. Why, I can see half a tree. And what more do I need? The dust is thick and it's galling. It simply can't be excused. In winter, even the falling snow looks used. My window pane may not give much light, but I see you, so the view is bright. If I can love you, I'll pay the dirt no heed. With your love, what more do I need? Someone shouting for quiet. Someone starting a brawl Down the block there's a riot And I'll buy it all Listen now, I'm ecstatic Hold me close and keep still Hear the lovely pneumatic drill A subway train thunders through the Bronx A taxi horn on the corner honks But I adore every roar and what more do I need? I hear a crane making street repairs, a two-ton child running wild upstairs. Steam pipes bang, sirens clang, and what more do I need? The 
neighbors yell in the summer, the landlord yells in the fall, so loud I can't hear the plumber pound the wall. An aeroplane roars across the bay, but I can hear you as clear as day. You said you love me above the sound and speed. With your love, what more do I need? This is an excerpt from an essay published in the Sun Magazine's February 2023 issue titled, You're Not a Racist by B.C. Ajapan. You're not a racist. You're my liberal friend, the one who applauds my Africanness. But one day in your home, you asked me to never leave the window open lest some black, you blinked, snipped off what you were about to say, and continued, lest some thief climb through it to steal something. In your mind, thieves are mostly black. I'm the exception that you boast about to others as your best friend. In my throat that day, it felt as though a fishbone had lodged there. But instead of hacking it out, I swallowed it farther, hoping the discomfort would end on its own. Newly arrived in America from Ghana, I was barely out of my teens, struggling to understand. You're not a racist. You're my church friend. I sang in the choir and you clapped. In the hallways you smiled at me and said, Amen, sister. Praise the Lord. Glory, hallelujah. But when I ran into you at the store, another white church friend by my side, you said hello to her and not to me. Though I smiled and said hello, you made no response. You looked elsewhere. Perhaps you didn't recognize me, but in church you'd have said hello whether you knew me or not. In public, I saw your fear, your need to scurry off. I recognized that fear, the one that makes you clutch your purse tighter when you spy a black person in the same shopping aisle as you the one that turns your Christian charity into an exclusive club. You're not a racist. You're my literary friend. But when at your dinner table we were discussing Shakespeare's Othello and a white guest looked away from me and said, let's be honest, every white person harbors prejudice against people of color. And I said, I guess I can understand, because back home they used to say only desperate girls married white men. When I said that, anger reddened the woman's face, and you rose to put your arm around her, whispering words of comfort, leaving me to wonder why her hurt mattered more, why I didn't deserve the same gentleness and delicacy after she made her comment with a careless shrug and a smile. Was her casual superiority all right with you? But I was a guest in your house, so I swallowed the feeling in my throat so that our friendship would continue. It was a one-time aberration, I persuaded myself. I was in my mid-twenties, still figuring it out. You're not a racist. You're my singles group friend. But when you almost married an unkind man who disparaged your home country, not America, 
When you came to my house to bake bread and spill your guts two weeks before the ceremony, when I called your mother on your behalf and she thanked me for telling her, when you drew the courage to call off the wedding, when you met someone better, when we planned your new wedding, when I arrived at the reception, I found I had been moved from your table to a faraway one to sit with a bunch of old people I barely knew. You told me that someone else had decided to move me, and you hadn't stood up for me. Later, I caught you looking at me with sadness and regret, and I smiled to make you comfortable, even as I remembered your mother confessing to me months earlier that your grandfather was a racist and apologizing in advance that I couldn't come around when Grandpa was visiting. She wanted to protect me, she said. Oh, the times you and I had danced to salsa and Afrobeat and performed together. The times we'd drunk wine and had orgies of home-baked bread. Our closeness was a private one, to be hidden from the white gaze. I said nothing and forced the bone in my throat farther down.
says three pair of brown slippers dark light and beige peter talks about david as if he is still around avenue a b and c they get better with age those were the days on broadway soho and the east village jane jacobs beat moses and for a moment saved society have you seen my suede smoking jacket?
And there you have it, episode 513 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Lucia Spina, The Sun Magazine, writer Bisi Ajopan, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, King Hala, Lucia Spina, Nina Simone, the great Wayne Shorter, Bramford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself.